Uh, I do want, what, what I was saying is, I'd like for my first words to you to be words of encouragement. So even though I've only been with you for a couple of weeks, um, many of you I'm just now meeting. Some of the members coming into Covenant I shook hands with this morning for the first time. Uh, even so, I have already seen God's Spirit at work among you um, in, in a number of ways. Let me give you just a couple. First of all, um, His Spirit was evident Last week, in the way you guys celebrated with the Bradfords and the way you, you commissioned them literally with tears for their service in Raleigh, that, that um, worship service last week was a powerful testimony to the way that God has been at work among you. And secondly, I just want to say thank you. I, I thank God for the way that you have welcomed me and welcomed Steve Smallman. I'm meeting people and going to visit home meetings, and folks are coming up to me and saying, we, we've already been praying for you. And I just, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't really expect that. And I, I, I'm thinking, yes, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> Please keep praying. And then people are saying, we will. We'll keep praying for you. And we're excited that you're here. And so, so I thank God again. That's his spirit that's at work among you. And the third thing is that I've, I've even had a couple of you come up to me and sort of share in some of the struggle that you're now facing in the uncertainty of transition. And share in very personal ways with me some of the pain you're feeling and some of what you're going through. And again, I just, I thank God because that, that's a sign and all these things are signs of the vital union that you have with Jesus who is our risen Lord and Savior. And so I just want to say, um, I, I wanted the first thing that I said today to be, I thank God for you, those of you who I'm getting to know and those of you who I have yet to know as a group and as a congregation. Um, I thank you. And I thank God for you. And I am um, also praying for you. And my prayer list, list keeps getting longer and longer as I write down more names and meet more people. And um, I think I am starting to get used to liberty. There's two things I'm having trouble with. One is lowercase letters everywhere. So I told the staff a couple weeks ago, I feel like I'm trapped in an E.E. E. Cummings poem. The second thing is this microphone, so it really makes me feel like Michael Jackson. <laughs> like, I know I have his physique already, but now I have his microphone too, so it's kind of cool. Oh, anyway, it was wonderful to hear um, the stories this morning. And for our first two sermons, what Steve and I have decided to do is actually share our personal stories. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we basically kind of combed through the Bible and we each selected a passage that is a place in Scripture where we find ourselves. It's a place where we find our story and we want to uh, preach and exhort and encourage you, but also use our, our own personal spiritual journeys to illustrate that exhortation um, that comes. I realized as I was in, in an in-covenant interview with a couple um, just last week, and I started kind of barraging them with questions, you know, what's your faith, and how do you know Jesus, and how to share the gospel? And then at the end, you know, I said, do you guys have any questions about liberty? And, uh, and one of them said, actually, we, we don't know anything about you. So they didn't ask me a question about the church. They asked me a question about myself. And so I think it's with, with that in mind, it's appropriate for us to sort of illustrate these passages by telling you a little bit about ourselves and a little bit about our lives. So um, keep your Bible open to Ephesians 3, and we'll get there momentarily. Um, as, as many of you already know, my dad was in the military. And so we grew up uh, moving around every three years as a young kid. And that sort of um, change carries with it 
a great deal of uncertainty. There's all sorts of questions that I had to ask as I was younger. Uh, where am I going to go to school? Where, who will be my friends? Will I have any friends? Where are we going to be for another three years? And I think the temptation for me was this, to sort of, um, what I did is I kind of defined myself by the uncertainty, if that makes sense. Um, I became the kind of person who never felt like he actually fit into a group. So I was kind of the um, perpetual outsider. So, and, and that some of that still remains today. If, if I'm with a group of Presbyterians, I feel a little too charismatic. If I'm with a group of charismatics, I feel a little too Presbyterian. Um, I, I sort of still have some of those tendencies. And, um, you know, the, the advantage of that is that it made me a fairly good sociologist, but the problem is it didn't always make me a great human. Because um, although I was good at observing what other groups were doing, I would often be lonely and frustrated and a hesitant participant sitting on the outside of these groups looking in. And see, I think you guys face a similar temptation in the face of uncertainty, in the face of transition, and that's to let um, the uncertainty seem so momentous that it defines you, to seem so momentous that it consumes you, to seem uh, so momentous that you disengage and that's when it's easy to do what Paul says in the last verse, verse 13. You can grow discouraged. You can lose heart. You're, you're, you're in danger, um, even as I was growing up, of losing your heart. See, what happens is saying, I don't belong, really easily turns into, I am never going to belong. Okay, or saying, I'm not sure where I'm going to be in three years can really easily turn into, I'll never know where I'm going to be in three years. And watch this saying, I don't know what God is doing, very subtly becomes, he must not be doing anything. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know what, what God is doing. But when it turns into, he must not be doing anything, then the discouragement has set in. And writing to an Ephesian church, listen, this was an Ephesian church that was facing uncertainty. Okay? Paul was not there with him. Not only that, he was in chains. He was in jail for preaching the gospel. And they had no idea what to do with the leader who was in jail. They had no idea why he was telling them that Jews and Gentiles had to be together. He was asking, he was telling them all kinds of radical things to do radical things that they didn't understand. And he says... God has given you grace, so don't lose your heart. God has given you grace, don't grow discouraged. There are certain things that you could cling to in the face of uncertainty. Okay, and these are the uncertain things. He says, he has given you the gospel, the gracious message of his gospel, what Jesus has done for you. And he has given you this glorious community, which is his church, and it's a gracious gift. And he had given you access not only to the, the message about Jesus, but to the person of Jesus who walks with you by your spirit, by his spirit. And he asks you, he is inviting you this morning to cling to these certain things. So let's look at those things. First of all, I want to start with the message, the gracious message that he's given you, which is the gospel. Paul says in verse 7, of this gospel... 
I was made a minister. And if you go back and you read Ephesians 1 and chapter 2, you'll see that the gospel is this. A loving God sent his son into the world to bring you new life. And it was just at the right time. It was just at the nick of time. Because Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead. You were once dead in your sins. You were blinded by your own self-sufficiency. You were ignorant of the ways of God in the world. You thought, I can get away. I can go through this life without God and on my own. And see, when you're in that state, all sorts of things start crying out against you. Your record and the guilt and the shame start heaping up on top of your shoulders so that you can't bear the weight of them and they cry out against you. But Paul says, God, who was rich in mercy, made you alive with Jesus Christ. God, who was rich in mercy, made you alive in Jesus Christ. It was wonderful uh, to hear those stories of God making people alive in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' death, he took on condemnation that you deserved. And in being risen to life, he has given to you a new heart, perfect freedom, union with him. And that's the message that Paul is willing to be in chains for. That's the message that we can never forget. And I want you to notice two things particularly. Two things. One, it's all by grace. God is free doing this thing among you. Look at, look at what Paul says. He says he was made a minister. Notice that is God's hand making him a minister. And he, he was made a minister by the gift of grace. And he said it was by the working of his power in verse 7. And in verse 8, he says again, it was by grace. And secondly, and maybe more to the point, is that Paul redefines himself by this message. His identity is wrapped up in it. So you see what Paul says is, look, I was once the less than the least of these. He even has to, he has to invent a superlative to describe it. Okay, he's not content just to say, I was the least of these. He's basically saying, I was less than the least of these because of the way he was persecuting the church and thinking about God. But now he's been radically transformed. And now his identity is wrapped up in service to God and in being a minister to God, and in proclaiming that message to him, and he never loses sight of the transforming power of that message. So, I want to tell you a little bit about how I've seen that transforming power of the gospel at work in my life. Like almost everyone who came to Covenant today, I also grew up in the church. And I nonetheless felt very much like the least of saints. And it wasn't because I was um, sort of flagrantly rebellious. It wasn't because um, I had somehow rejected God. But it was because I felt like the least of saints in terms of understanding. The least of saints in terms of comprehension. So I would go and hear sermons, and I would read Bible passages, and I was surrounded by um, all sorts of church-like things, liturgies, youth groups. But I didn't understand. I didn't understand what it all meant and what it means. And I must have driven my parents crazy who are here with me today <laughs> as they were waiting for me patiently to understand and patiently to embrace the faith. And then the summer after my senior year in high school, um, I, was, it, it, I was struggling with discouragement. 
And I was involved in a relationship that was uh, pretty awful. And I was, I had had a friend who had nearly committed suicide. And we had moved to like a little small town in the middle of rural North Carolina, which if you want to feel like an outsider, <laughs> just go to a rural town in small North Carolina. Uh, I, I was, was friendless and alone and isolated. And that summer, um, two things happened. One, my mom bought me a book for graduation. And it's slightly embarrassing, but the only thing I remember about it is that it was written by the guy who founded Promise Keepers. <laughs> so um, I can't remember his name. I just remember that fact. And the other thing I remember about it is that it had a chapter on repentance. And so I'm kind of flipping through this and not understanding what's going on. And what happened is, as I um, read his description of repentance, he basically said, listen, um, the problem is not just that everyone is sinful. The problem is that is with you. The problem is in you. And if you turn over these things to Jesus Christ, he will take them from you and take the sin and take the guilt and take the shame. And see, what I had had is I had abstract generalities. I had totally abstract notions of God. Sure, there is a God that exists. Sure, Jesus died for everyone, I'm, I'm sure. Yes, the Bible is good for all people. But I had no understanding of the way that that personally applied to me. So he said, basically... You can receive rest from your pardon. And I thought, okay, that sounds good. I'll give it a try. So, I mean, I'm sitting alone in my room reading this book written by the guy who, who founded Promise Keepers. And I start with that day. And I said, okay, I'm going to confess for that thing I did just five minutes ago. And I started working back. They said, oh, man, I did something wrong like 15 minutes before that. And I started going back through the week. And then I started going back through the month. And I started going back through years. And I'm trying to do all of them. I'm trying to do all of them, and the, the gory details aren't important, but what happened is I got to the place where I said, there's too many. I cannot capture all of them by saying specific sins. I need you to take on my whole sinful life, this whole deal, the whole thing. And I experienced true grace for the first time. I experienced the lifting of of shame and the lifting of guilt. And I saw, and I heard Jesus call out to me and accept me in his sight. And the first thing that I want you to kind of pick up on here in this, in, as part of this story is that when you are growing discouraged, if you're growing discouraged in the face of uncertainty, start to tell your story. That's what we've been doing all day. We've been telling stories of the wonderful grace of God that's at work. And listen to other people's stories and ask them to share their stories with you and remember what you once were. My favorite thing to do when I'm preaching is to think of all the other things that I could be doing right now. And I get to do this. What a privilege. That is a privilege. I could be sitting at home in my room looking at pornography on the internet. But God worked in my heart and Christ has come and he has given me a task to do, and it's a great joy. It's a great joy. It's a great privilege. Think of what you once were, dead in your sins. Think of where you once were, blind and without God in the world. And if you are here and you have not experienced this grace, ask others to share their story. Start to cast a critical eye on your own self-sufficiency. Start to wonder whether or not on your own you can find true satisfaction and true worship in this world. 
Okay, the second thing is that in this passage, Paul makes clear that God has not only provided us with the gospel, but also with the church. And here's where my story gets kind of interesting. At least to me. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> we all love ourselves more than everybody else. <laughs> sort of like looking for yourself in a picture that someone shows you. Highly interesting to me. Not so sure it will be to you. After the experience I just described for you, I had an insatiable desire for Jesus, but I wanted to have nothing to do with the organized institutional church. And anybody who knows me would not be surprised. And as you get to know me, I'm sort of like all or nothing. (laughs) So it's kind of like go for one thing. And if that's not working, then you jump to the other side. And so what happened is I went off to college and I joined a campus group, a camp, uh, you know, campus ministry. And I wanted it just to be like uh, Jesus and me and nothing else. And what that looked like was a bunch of guitar playing, um, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Didn't do a lot of good for other people, honestly. And um, sitting alone in my room with my Bible open, those were the two things. And um, at one point, if I can share one story, at one point in my college career, my roommate and I, I I don't know if any of you, if this resonates with any of you, but we literally decided we were going to try a different church every week. And we would go, and we sat in the back. We were like the two guys in the Muppets, you know, like those two old guys. And we would say, we would criticize everything that was going on. Like, can you believe they did that? I can't believe they did that. And it, it tells you something of God's sense of humor that I now have to submit myself to that sort of criticism <laughs> for a living. <laughs> but yeah, we were ridiculous. The, the point of that is that me and Jesus very easily turns into me and me. Me and Jesus very easily turns into what I want and what I can get and turns a a very critical eye on everything else that's around. And so by the end of the college career, here's my story, I found myself in in another destructive relationship. And um, I had sinned by the time I was done with that in ways that I had never sinned before, even before I became a Christian. And that messed with my head. I didn't get that. I thought after I became a Christian, everything was supposed to be perfect. Um, And that precipitated a crisis. And here was what happened. I recognized that my friends at the college campus ministry, they could offer suggestions, but there was no real authority in what they said. They had helpful advice, but they were so like me and doing the same things that I was doing that they could not point out the weaknesses in me. Is that clear? I'm not sure if I'm articulating that clearly, but we were all the same group of people playing our guitars and having a a Jesus and me session and then sitting on the side. And we were so similar that when they came and said, hey, Dwayne, here's the problem, I couldn't see it because they're very bad at pointing out that problem. Okay, because most of them just didn't care. Most of them didn't say anything. And the second thing is there was no commitment. There was no in-covenant vows. There was no, um, on my part, to say, I bind myself to you so that I will actually listen to what you say. So that when they came to me and said, hey, Dwayne, stop doing this, quit that, or other, it was really easy for me just to say, no, thank you. I don't need it. I don't even need you guys. See you later. And we all graduated and moved on our way. And what had happened by that point in my life, see, if you think of the first part of my life, I had lots of church, but I had very little Jesus. And then uh, that second part of my life, I had lots of Jesus, um, but I had very little church, and it wasn't working. And one of the reasons it wasn't working is because of what Paul says in verse 10 
Look back at verse 10. He says this. He says, through the church, through the church. These are glorious words um, that changed my life. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That means to the spiritual powers that are opposing God in this world. And that means the church is not simply another human institution. The church is not simply um, some kind of a social club. It operates on a deeper level. It operates on a spiritual level. It operates on, on a cosmic level. What God is doing, as I heard someone say recently, is he's taking the invisible realities of what have been done in Christ, and he is making those things visible in the church as we get to work them out on a day-to-day basis. In Hebrews, it says, all things have put in, been put in subjection to Jesus, but the problem is you don't always see them yet. But in the church, you get sort of a, a salve for the blindness. In the church, we see his redemption being worked out. See, there was a false dichotomy um, of saying it's either church or Jesus. I wasn't even I, I wasn't even asking the right question because you see Jesus identifies with his church. When uh, when he appears, when the risen Jesus appears to Paul, do you remember? He says uh, in Acts, I guess it's Acts eight, he says, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? But who's Paul been persecuting? Paul's been persecuting the church. Jesus identifies himself with the people that he's gathering together in his name. And he's at work in the church. See, it's better to think of the church as like an enormous mansion. To think of it as an enormous mansion with all these different rooms. And what I was telling the guys uh, that were coming into covenant before the service, I said, you guys are the bricks that are making this church into the temple of the living God. The rooms in this mansion are the people that you get to know and that you get to love and that you come into contact with. And, and God is inviting you to explore all of those rooms. He's inviting you to enter in. This is, a, this is not something that you have to do. This is a privilege. This is an opportunity to find out the riches of God. He said his manifold wisdom is there being revealed. That means that wisdom is diverse. God himself is diverse. And all of it is being revealed within his church. If we use the Bible's metaphor, uh, other, other metaphors in the Bible, you'll see that the church is the bride of Christ. And yes, it may have let you down. Yes, it may be a filthy whore, if I could put it that way. But he says, I am cleansing you. I am making you white as snow. The promises that Jesus has, has given are not only to you individually, they are, but they're also to this body, which he calls his church. And he says, I will run to you and gather you up and sweep you up in my arms and make you pure and marry you. And so on the one hand, that means like all the things that we do that don't look good or that we don't like or that we want to be critical of or that don't make sense, like going to a home meeting that you feel like is boring or talking to a person in church you think is annoying, might be sitting right next to you. (laughs) Careful is actually a part of God working. He is working in these things. He's working in the building of gardens if the church is building those gardens. He's working in giving out Easter baskets if the church is giving the Easter baskets. And the other thing, on the other hand, though, we also strive to work for that church, to purify it and to perfect it and to, to, to proclaim the gospel through it to the people that we meet. 
So my words to you of encouragement are don't let the uncertainty drive you away from the church. Don't let them cause you to disengage. Don't pull back from the people who you love because out there you may be insulated from the pain. You may protect yourself from developing true and authentic relationships. Um, but you are missing out on a whole half in some way, if I could say it that way, of what the Holy Spirit is doing. You're missing out on what the Spirit is doing. And if you are feeling, I I do want to say this, if you are feeling pain now, like if you think of the Bradfords leaving and that causes you pain, that's good because you should. You should. That means you were invested. You were involved. It was an authentic relationship. And the Lord, it's, it's another one of those signs of the vital union that you have with Christ and through his Holy Spirit. And if I could also add, look for ways that the Holy Spirit is working. That would be my encouragement to you. If you feel yourself growing discouraged, if you feel yourself losing your heart, look for ways that the Holy Spirit is working. If I could share a a, a little story about this, I've learned quite a bit in the last uh, month or so about what it means to look for the Spirit working in other people. So I was leading a home meeting um, at our former church, New Life Glenside. And um, basically there was one member of the group who was, uh, I saw the world most differently from. The person who I had the most philosophical differences with. She had a certain parenting style. I had a different parenting style. She had a certain political view. I had a different political view. She had, you know, all sorts of... of, um, thoughts and opinions, and I didn't share them. And what happened over the course of the weeks and months that we met together is I let those things become criticisms. Has that ever happened to you? So suddenly I started to get irritated or annoyed um, at various points when she would say something. And then, but what happened is this. After, after months and months and months of that sort of building, we, and, our, and our group had, done, had, had talked about very many topics, but we got to one topic, and the topic was about family and children and how to have them participate in the, in, in your, the life of your small group. And um, at that meeting, she became the most valuable person group. She had more to say that was more relevant and worthwhile than anything. So I disagreed with her on like 90% of things. But on that night... And I had to wait, you know what I mean? I had to wait month after month and I had to deal with myself. But on that one topic, what she said was more valuable. Honestly, I'll I'll share with you what it was. She said, I think that Christians don't value their children. They like to take them and they like to put them away in other rooms while they're meeting. But what we're saying to our kids oftentimes is that they are not valuable members of our group. And I said, that's me. I say, wow, I do that to my kids. I left that meeting repenting for my attitude towards my own children, and I left that meeting repenting for my attitude towards her because she knew something of God's manifold wisdom that I didn't know. She had something of Jesus that I would have missed had I not waited for it. God is working among you, and he's working in you, and he's working in unexpected ways through the people in the church who are around us. There's not one of us that can exhaust his, his inexhaustible and his unsearchable wisdom and riches. Okay. Um, the third thing that God has given us is the gracious gift of access to Jesus. Okay. And this is the last point. It's the shortest point. 
He's given us confidence, access to Jesus. So uh, this is going to sound like a repeat of the first point, but I want you to hang with me to review. He has given us the message of the gospel, which is what Jesus has done for you. He gives you the church, which is the glorious body um, and, and a place for us to participate with him. And thirdly, Paul says he has given us complete access to Jesus himself, which means that Jesus is here and going with you presently. Jesus is here. This is a simple point. Jesus is here and with you presently. Paul says, according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in verse 11, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And I want to illustrate this point real quickly by telling you what's happened to my wife and I in the last couple of years. Um, the circumstances in our lives didn't get any less messy or complicated or clear. <laughs> so we, we, have, we, we haven't gained any more certainty. The uncertainty is still there. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about the last five years. We've moved four times in the last five years. I've had um, probably six jobs, including tutoring Korean high school students trying to get into Harvard, running an after-school program for elementary school kids ages one through four, which is like my own personal hell, um, <laughs> that I didn't know until I got there. <laughs> and then I learned. <laughs> and, then I, and I could tell story after story after story. Imagine me with a hundred, you know, first to fourth graders. Okay. I, um, a brief and unsuccessful stint as a real estate venture capitalist. <laughs> I didn't make a dime. I was coerced by some friends of mine. I've taught freshman composition at, at uh, Montgomery County Community College. I worked at a thrift store. Um, and so coming to Liberty is as unstable as interim may mean is like more stable than anything that's happened to me in the last five years. <laughs> and here's what I keep asking. Most of you know that I, or maybe you don't. If you don't know, I want to plant a church. Um, and that's something that my wife and I feel like God has called us to do. And so amid all this changing uncertainty and trying to figure it out, we keep asking, where do you want us to go and what do you want us to do? What's the task and what's the place? You know, and it's, it's generally preach the gospel and, and, and where, and I keep asking, Lord, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Make it clear, become specific. Tell me what you would have for us in the face of all this uncertainty. And instead, what he does is he keeps revealing himself to me. He keeps revealing his person to me. He keeps saying, Dwayne, you're a huge sinner. Look how sinful you are, which is really frustrating if you say, Lord, tell me where to go. And he says, look at how big a sinner you are. This is what you need to learn. Try humility. Try patience. Try waiting. Try trusting. You don't know anything about these things. And so what I have learned and what I want to share with you is that, yes, um, Jesus is calling you to a task. There is some task that he has for you. And, yes, Jesus is calling you to a place, and right now it's Philadelphia or somewhere in the city, and it's liberty. But more than to a, more than to a, a task and more than to a place, Jesus is calling you to a person. He's calling you to himself. Fly to him. There is nothing more certain 
There is nothing more certain than what he has done for you, this group that he has given you, and his promise that he will go with you. Jesus is with you wherever you go. And here's what Paul says. These are the next verses. So if you have a Bible out, you can look. If not, just listen. He says, for this gets to be my prayer for you. And I am making this my prayer for you, Liberty Church. This is what I pray for you as I begin um, here for the short time that I'll be with you. In verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is breadth and what is the length and what is the height and what is the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled. I pray that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, would you be with us? And more than that, Lord, things look uncertain to us. In that uncertainty, could we just remember, could we just remember that you are with us? You have done it all. You have paid it all. You are risen and reigning and ruling. You have given us this group, your church. Help us to follow you. Help us to follow you. We need you more and more now than ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.